and welcome. This is the UC Santa Cruz News Roundup podcast, where we talk about the latest news and research from UC Santa Cruz. In this episode, we'll continue going over the news about COVID-19 and how our campus is working to understand it and fight it. And then we've got other news to let you know about too. We're, of course, social distancing. Dan and I are recording this podcast through Zoom, the app everyone both loves and hates, or loves to hate. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Dan, how have things been for you this week at home? Uh, well, we were talking about this, Gwen, but you know, this is one of those things where, you know, our faucet broke. And I don't want I don't want anybody in the house, you know. Right. I don't want to move from the house, but then we had to get someone all masked up to fix the faucet. Yeah. And then the guy had to go and get something and he comes but you know, it's this whole rigmarole. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, sorry about that, but right. um glad otherwise things are going okay. All right, so that's just to let you know, dear listeners, to um to just forgive any poor audio quality <laughs> or random sounds you might hear in the background as we get you this podcast even in this strange and uncertain environment that frankly is, is like extending into eternity one of these days we will see each other again but um till then i'm your zoom co-host gwen jordanay and i'm an editor for uc santa cruz news and i'm your co-host dan white and i'm a writer for ucsc news and you know what if you hear the leaf blower I just, just, you just, we'll, we'll, follow, we'll, we'll try, we'll try to protect you from the leaf blower. We'll try to edit yeah. that out, but it could happen. Right okay. about this time, there's a leaf blower who's about five inches from my garage. I think oh. he's blowing, blowing it against the garage. Oh, oh no. Maybe he thinks I'm You have an enemy? <laughs> he might be, at least. he might be like you're, you're, he's like very gently getting back at you for something. Let's, um, let's dive in. Oh, and good. so first up. <laughs> What I have is um, more news on the COVID front. UC yeah. Santa Cruz and Community Foundation Santa Cruz County are partnering, partnering to ensure the area's low income and vul vulnerable residents have access to rapid COVID-19 testing. The campus is testing 200 to 400 samples every week collected by Salud para la Gente and Santa Cruz Community Health. Community Foundation Santa Cruz County is paying for the cost of the tests. Um, so we have this uh, diagnostic lab that started up really quickly and um, it's called UC Santa Cruz Molecular Diagnostic Lab and it received state approval for COVID-19 testing on May 1st. So they got that thing up and running very quickly and they began running tests for Santa Cruz Community Health and the Campus Student Health Center. Researchers have been working to steadily increase testing capacity for Santa Cruz County to support efforts to, of course, detect the virus and reduce its spread because the faster you can get the test results back, then, then you can do the contact tracing. Otherwise, it's not much use. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. With added capacity, the lab's now running 500 to 600 tests every week. The campus is ready to work with more local health healthcare providers. Wow, so that added capacity is really good news. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, now will people have to have health insurance or pay out of pocket for the tests or how will it work? So by working with local nonprofit health centers, the partnership will ensure that county residents will be able to get a COVID-19 test. 
regardless of their ability to pay. So that, so yeah, um, like you said, great news. And UC Santa Cruz continues to contribute to the fight against COVID-19 and hopefully is going to help humanity recover from this blow or just, <laughs> this long-term blow or just Blows. constantly. It's like the series, isn't it? Okay, so Dan, um, do you know fidget spinners? I do. When you're stressed out, I guess you could almost hear the whirring sound now. When you're stressed out or <laughs> bored, you twirl, imagine being stressed and bored, Gwen. You oh, twirl them around your fingers to hypnotize yourself when you're stressed. And you know what? They need to bring them back because yeah. I've replaced them with, you know what doom scrolling is? Yes. <laughs> I'm doing it's like it a too. fidget spinner in reverse where uh. you you're like fidget spinning through your through the news and it just it makes you feel bad and then you try to replace that bad feeling with another bad story. I know. <laughs> Doom scrolling. It's like a uh. feedback loop. So I'm so glad that these things um are going to become ubiquitous again, I'm hoping. So yeah. yeah, well I think they've I think yeah, they kind of broke out and then they kind of receded and then and then mm. they're back. But back, yeah. they're, they're pretty darn ubiquitous. I mean you yes. can find them anywhere, department stores, gas stations, yeah. kind of all over the place. And they've expanded from just the spinners to like fidget cubes and oh, I didn't we have know a couple that. of those. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we've got some fidget cubes and and then there's other ones, um, other like devices, and they're supposed to help you focus especially um, for kids and adults with ADHD. There's no scientific evidence about whether they work, but that's about to change thanks to a new study by researchers at UC Santa Cruz and the UC Davis Mind Institute. We need science to weigh in on whether these devices can help and how, according to Julie Schweitzer, professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the UC Davis Mind Institute and the lead investigator on the project. Schweitzer said anxiety surrounding COVID-19 and working or going to school from home is a challenge and the study has implications for how fidget devices might ease anxiety as well as increase focus. People are expected to be paying attention to virtual meetings for hours and, you know, pretty soon the kids are going to be going back to school and be expected to, you know, be paying attention to Zoom class for hours on end. Yeah. Um, and anything you can do to help improve people's attention, alertness, and emotional regulation could be helpful, according to Schweitzer. Wow. So... Uh, how are they going to go about the study? Right, like how do you do this? Um, yeah. So the research team is recruiting 110 adults with ADHD. They'll do attention and memory tasks and be shown film clips to evoke an emotional response. The team will study natural physical movements or fidgeting in addition to giving some participants a specially designed smart fidget ball developed at UC Santa Cruz to squeeze, stroke, or tap. The fidget ball will measure each of those movements using it, the sensors that they've built into it. The data are transmitted in real time to a computer for analysis. The sensors measure not only when someone touches them, but how much pressure they use. Um, according to co-investigator Catherine Isbister, um, a professor of computational media, at our very own Baskin School of Engineering, whose team created the device. <clears throat> the study participants will also be 
videotaped and hooked up to an electrocardiogram device. And they're going to be looking at whether there are physiological effects as well, like changes in heart rate variability. And they'll be able to see when and how the people use the ball, connect that with the physiology and determine whether it's working for them. And then another um, unique aspect of this study is its use of machine learning, um, which is an area of artificial intelligence, or AI, to analyze the results. Using the data from the study, an AI program should be able to predict what fidget ball behaviors are effective and recommend fidgeting strategies as possible therapies. Co-investigator Daniel Shapiro, who is an adjunct, adjunct professor of computational media, at UC Santa Cruz is developing the approach. The end goal is really audacious, according to Schweitzer. Eventually, they'd like to mass produce fidget devices that interact with a smartwatch that would give people cues to let them know it was time to tap or squeeze the ball to help modulate their attention or emotions. So it's all very interesting. Um, I, I love that, you know, there's all these like, products out in the world or you know supplements or whatever and our researchers are like there's no evidence this works so let's mm -hmm. find out <laughs> i like that it just makes me wonder why something like this hasn't done been done before i think it's really timely yeah that we'll actually get some some data and see and see what uh, what good this is doing and i suspect they'll find interesting things when the i data do too and it, i'm through. really looking forward to learning about that um because if they're helpful that would be great and it could help kids and both kids and adults quite a bit. And if it, if it especially is. now, everything, every little bit helps, right? I mean, right. It's just anything right. to, you know, with the stress and with uh, the boredom and that's been going on, you know, mm -hmm. just let's get those fidget spinners out there. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then, so speaking of Catherine Isbister, she is a busy lady. Um, the National Science Foundation awarded a $1.2 million grant to a team led by Isbester to develop a summer camp for middle school girls focused on computational technology in a social context involving live action role playing games. Sounds uh, really interesting. Um, and I'm sure you'll explain more in a bit, but uh, why? Uh, targets to young demographic. I mean, why middle schools in particular, middle school girls in particular? Okay, yes. Um, so they target middle school girls because that's an age where many girls begin to lose interest and confidence in pursuing computing and technical subjects in school. And as career options, says uh, Isbister, who directs the Social Emotional Technology Lab in the Baskin School of Engineering. She says a lot of that's due to social influences because children at that age are very sensitive to what's acceptable to their peers, which definitely rings true. I certainly remember that. So um, I definitely believe that. Computer science has become a really gendered domain, she says, even though it didn't start out that way and a lot of girls just self-select themselves out of it. But studies have shown that girls can become much more engaged when working on coding projects as part of a computational community and when the projects are socially relevant. The idea for the summer camp emerged from Isbister's team's work on these things called social wearables or 
It's a wearable technology designed to support and enhance social interactions. The researchers have been working with groups engaged in live action role playing or LARPing. <laughs> I had never LARPing. heard that term before. Have you ever heard that term, LARPing? Well, this is just <laughs> one more way of the young folk making me feel old. Like what's, what's the thing that they play? Animal Crossing, is that a thing? Like, yeah, that's yeah. a thing. I, I just, LARPing, no. <laughs> Sounds like slurping or like something that people would say, like you're drinking a milkshake too fast or you're going to start LARPing if you oh slow God. down, right? <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds not like what it is, but... Um, like a gurgling problem <laughs> in your guts. It's just one more, yeah, exactly. It's one more uh, sign of how totally out of it I am. But okay, so now I know. Um, <laughs> I already knew that I was out of it. All right, so LARPing is a popular type of fantasy game in which people create characters, make costumes, and act out various fictional scenarios. So it sounds like Renaissance Fair, but online. Um, So wearables like smartwatches, glasses, wristbands, stuff like that, are a growing segment of computing technology in everyday life. In a LARP environment, players might wear um, like a dog tag-like wearable that would use LED lights to keep track of and represent the health score of a character. So that's kind of what these wearables are are like. The summer camp will use an educational LARP game as a sort of test bed for the development of social wearables by the participants who will work together on designing and modifying wearable technology to support their social interactions in the game. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be working closely with um, an outfit called the Game Academy, which has years of experience offering classes and summer camps involving role-playing games. And the Game Academy will be running the camp sessions. The first year of the project is will focus on um, prototyping and testing. So there won't be a camp just yet. They'll just start doing the prototyping and testing with the goal of running the first camp, hopefully next summer. So sounds fun. Um, and hopefully, sure does. you know, yeah, hopefully it'll get more girls into computing and tech. And then that hopefully that'll mean we can have more women in those careers in like 10, 15 years or so. So, uh, so I think that's it for me. What's on your news radar, Dan? Oh, there's so many, there's so many news items for you. But Gwen, you mentioned the Renaissance Fair. Just mm-hmm. now. Have you been? Have you gone to a Yeah, I've gone a couple of times. Not for many years, but I've gone a couple of times. It was fun. <laughs> Super fun. I've never been, but I used to live in a house where everyone was into it. Like they were wearing chain mail and this one guy <laughs> was brewing mead in the bathtub, which sounded wildly unhygienic nice. to me. But oh, you know, yeah. I, I haven't been, but it sounds interesting. Oh, well, you'll Anyhow, have to go sometime. Uh, I, well, it may be too late for me, Gwen, but maybe I'll bring my kids sometime. Okay. Um, so Gwen, now I'm not sure if, if you've heard uh, this, but for a really long time, and I had no idea until I was doing some research for this podcast, but oh. there were apparently these great big gaps in the maps of the DNA sequence from end to end. I had no idea. I thought this was taken care of, but yeah. apparently there were holes in the sequence. And as you know, there's nothing worse than having a map with a bunch of holes in it, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But now for the first time ever, scientists have figured out the complete sequence 
of a human X chromosome from one end to the other with zero gaps wow. at an unprecedented level of accuracy. This is a really, really big deal. And it's worth celebrating to have this complete assembly of a human X chromosome because there are some real health and research implications, which I'll talk about. By okay. the way, this sequencing news, this was published in the July 14th issue of Nature magazine. Now the mm -hmm. lead author, Karen Miga, a research scientist at the UC Santa Cruz Genomics Institute, said the project was made possible by new sequencing technologies that enable ultra-long reads, such as the nanopore sequencing technology that was pioneered right here hmm. at UC Santa Cruz. Now, um, repetitive DNA sequences are really common throughout the genome, and they've always posed a real challenge for sequencing because most technologies are set up to produce what they call short reads of the hmm. sequence. Then they have to be pieced together laboriously like a jigsaw puzzle just to assemble the genome. Now, repetitive sequences yield lots of short reads that look almost the same. Hmm. It's like a large expanse of blue sky in a puzzle and you've got no clues to, to how the pieces fit together or how many repates there are. I think we've all had puzzles like that, which drive yeah. me crazy. Where do the pieces <laughs> go, right? And you've got no visual cues. So Gwen, Gwen, thank goodness for this nanopore sequencing technology because we've now made these leaps and bounds in the sequencing technology. And we've overcome what we used to think were these seemingly intractable problems with the sequencing. Huh. Now filling in the remaining gaps in that genome sequence opens up new regions of the genome and it's so many possibilities that are being revealed. So researchers will now be able to dig deeper into some major issues that have far-ranging consequences for all of us, whether we know or care much about the science that affects <laughs> us, right? Uh -huh. For instance, the, uh, these scientists can now search for these associations, these links between sequence variations and disease and for other clues to important questions about biology and evolution. This is great because we're getting a clearer and deeper picture of these issues that eluded us somewhat because these gaps. Now, Miga said, we're starting to find that some of these regions where there were gaps in the reference sequence are actually among the richest for mm -hmm. variation in human populations. So we've been missing out on a lot of information that could be important to understanding human biology and disease. So this is huge. Yeah. Miga and uh, Adam Philippi at the National Human Genome Research Institute uh, which has a not great uh, NHG, that doesn't really sound like anything, NHGRI, <laughs> not a good acronym. It should be like POW or something. Yeah. Both corresponding authors in the new paper co-founded the Telomere to Telomere Consortium to pursue the complete genome assembly after teaming up on a 2018 paper that demonstrated the potential of this technology to produce a complete human genome sequence. So it's, uh, that's what's uh, really great news. Really totally. Good. Wow, man, making, making some huge progress. It, it really is. And it, as I said, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's bound to help even people such as me who don't have a tremendous amount of grounding in the sciences, yeah. but are always eager to learn, you know, try to learn more. Mm -hmm. So from the sciences to the humanities, I'm going to pivot to the uh, Dickens universe. Um, oh, cool. I was so excited, by the way, about the Dickens universe, which is, of course, this great big internationally famous Dickens symposium held here at UC Santa Cruz. Um, 
And it's been going on for four decades now, as you know. And I've been <laughs> madly, this time I decided that for once I would come prepared. Actually, I, I read a previous book in, in another year, but uh, David Copperfield, which is a wonderful classic Dickens book mm -hmm. featuring the dastardly evil villain Uriah Heep. Yes. so great. What a great, <laughs> when he was not there, I'm like, come back, Uriah Heep. He's the <laughs> Oh his my name gosh, is just when, so perfect. Because he's a heap of iniquity. <laughs> I think he is one of my favorite villains. And because what he does, he's, he's fake humility. He's always saying, I'm so very humble. He drops the H because he's got uh -huh. that kind of a accent. So anyhow, it's this famous symposium and I was all set to go. Uh, couldn't wait. I was going to sign up. But as you know, fate intervened and there's this horrible, tragic, pandemic has yeah. swept the world. And as a result of this, like so many institutions all over the globe, the Dickens universe had to pivot pretty quickly into the virtual Dickens universe, hopefully just this one time, which was yeah. held in uh, late July. Huge change because, you know, it's the analog quality of the project where you're there and you're sampling the teas and the cookies and you're, you're there catching up with people in real life that kind of yeah. gives it a lot of the charm. But like so many things, the online realm was also an opportunity, right? Yeah. Um, the original, they were able to kind of go off in different directions. Now the originally planned program on campus was set to focus on Dickens's David Copperfield plus Eola Leroy or Shadows Uplifted by Frances E.W. Harper, one of the first African-American women to be published in the United States. Hmm. Now that analog discussion has been pushed back to 2021. So. Gwen, I still hope to attend if yeah, I can. Yeah, <laughs> I may have to brush up on those books. But this yeah. summer's virtual version offered a range of online panels and conversations that provide a really rich context for that discussion next year because mm. you have scars from Victorian studies and scars from early African-American studies. And they discuss these fascinating links, unexpected links really, between the two fields, as well as approaches for addressing race and racism in the classroom and ways to engage with black studies in the 19th century. And um, John Jordan, director and co-founder of the Dickens Project was talking about how Harper, a prolific poet and essayist was also a prominent public speaker on issues of women's rights and African-American freedom during and after the American Civil War. Now her fourth novel, Eola Leroy was published in 1892. Hmm. Wow. And like many African-American intellectuals of this period, Harper admired the novels of Dickens and saw him as a champion for uh, disenfranchised and outcast members of society. You know, what's interesting, Gwen, is I've read that novel because when I was in college, I couldn't pick my classes and someone I barely knew, I said, just pick all my classes. And she randomly assigned me all these classes to, to take at, at my college. And one of them was this uh, early African-American women and their fictions. And I, I read that book and a wow. bunch of other books. It actually, it actually helped me interview Toni Morrison a few years ago. Yeah. I was drawing from what I learned in that random class. Oh, that's, so, that's awesome. So uh, like David Copperfield, Eola Leroy tells the story of a young person's coming of age and struggle to survive during a time of social conflict and national unrest, Jordan added. So there are a lot of really interesting diversions. Anyhow, um, one more thing I want to say about the Dickens Universe virtual version is you know how every year they have this really cool thing when high school students are kind of featured yeah. there, they do a performance. Yeah. Um, now on the last day of this, high school students from South Los Angeles who spent a large part of the 2019 year 
studying David Copperfield and translating that into a performance, they presented a dramatic online performance reflecting how their own lives relate to the novel. So I think oh. that's just a wonderful synergy that they did. God, that's so, great. Uh, isn't that great? So, yeah. um, you know, congratulations, Dickens Universe, for gracefully making that pivot. And I look forward to catching up with you all in the analog realm next year. Oh, man, the Dickens universe never fails to impress. They are just a class act. Yeah, I agree with you. And the other thing, too, is considering that it's been going on for 40 years. Yeah. Every time I drop in on them, it always seems surprising and interesting and fresh. Yeah. You know, and they embrace these changes. I mean, one year uh, they had George Eliot. They just completely said, no, let's just feature a kind of a contemporary. And uh-huh. and uh, it was it was they always seem to have something up their sleeve up there at the Dickens universe, that's for sure. They really do. And everybody there seems to be so happy and excited to be there and having a blast and just being able to like dive deep into Dickens with people who are like-minded and just just having such a fun time. (laughs) So it's You know, that's absolutely true. And I don't take that for granted. I mean, as kind of an academic or scholarly conference can sometimes be a rather a ponderous thing. There's always a spirit of joy and kind of transport yeah. in the Dickens universe. And that's that's true year after year. It's it a totally convivial is. aspect, right? Yeah. It's, so it's really, cool. really cool. So um yeah. we highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't been yet. It really is worth it. It's worth your yeah. while. It's worth traveling out here if you don't live near here. It's yeah. it's really something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fascinating. Um, Very cool report about Dickens Universe and what they're going to be doing next year. Um, And I think that is it for this time. That's all the news that we've got for the podcast. And uh, it's good as always to have you with us. Hope you enjoyed this little missive from UC Santa Cruz. Let us know if there's anything you would like to hear about. And other than that, stay safe, stay healthy, keep your mask on when you're out and about slugs. And support the U.S. Post Office. Support the U.S. Post Office. Write some letters. Write me a letter. Write me a letter, Um, people. I would love it. (laughs) No, write us. Write us. And uh, we'll catch up with you. Uh, Sorry, we'll catch you up with all the latest news next time. Bye. Bye.